Turn over, come on, let's clap for Jesus. How are we doing today, family? You doing all right today? You doing good? Glad to be in the house of God. Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're joining us today. It's a real honor to have you and those joining us online for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. And a special hello to our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Show them some love. Really clap for them. Let them know we love them. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed Pastor Mike last, uh, last Sunday. I'm all the way from Sydney, Australia. He's all right, isn't he? I'll tell him three people clap for him when uh, he asks. And, um, well, hey, today we're going to conclude our um, discussion through the book of James. How many have enjoyed the devotional? You staying with it, family? You able to stay with it? There's still a few of you clapping. That's, that's a good sign. And, and listen, just use it as a resource um, over the course of your life. I'm telling you, there's so much in the Word of God. I want to remind you, the Bible teaches us that the Word of God is living and active. It means no matter how many times you read it, God's going to use it to speak to you in the season that you're in. So make sure that you make room for God to speak. Can you say amen? And uh, listen, I wanted to uh, also remind you of a few things. First and foremost, every single Wednesday... Pastor Ennis and Brian and the, Pastor Brian and the team that they have, they minister to hundreds of youth here on a Wednesday night. And I just, I'm saying that to you because um, you make a way for that through your generosity, but maybe more important than that is you have influence in, in your world that God's given you. And I want you to be aware of the transformation that's happening in the young people on a Wednesday night. And if there are young people in your world that could be um, brought to that environment, do what you can um, to get them there. I'm overwhelmed by what God's doing um, to watch God move the way that he is for young people is so inspiring and encouraging to me. Um, so make sure you play your part in that. Same with 1829, the event for those 18 to 29. Um, what uh, a, a needed um, season of life to speak the word of God of the word of God into people to encourage them to walk in a world that is um, filled with uh, potholes. Can you say amen? There's a lot of stuff, and so that's going to be an incredible gathering. Do your part in that. And maybe last, um, but certainly not least, Pastor Kyle and his team through the cruise and the life of the church, they do such an incredible job um, not only launching crews, but resourcing leaders, launching more and more crews throughout um, throughout the seasons as they come. And some of you might have like horror um, uh, stories from past experience of small group. Anyone have a, a story like that? I do. <laughs> and you know what the worst part was? It was I was trying to to be a co-lead of a small group when I first started. Um, it was down in Virginia. And I was like, well, this is great. And someone told me, you need to be part of, part of small groups. They're going to be great for you. I was like, all right, fine. You know, and, and I kind of just went along. And then I, I showed up to the small group. And, and in my mind, I'm there. And I'm saying to myself, this is horrible. Like, I, I don't know. I would never invite my friend to this. This is terrible. And so they ever, every time, like, at the end, they're like, hey, how was it? Did you enjoy it? Oh, it was amazing. It was so, we are so bad at being honest when it comes to stuff sometimes. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, it was wonderful. And then I got so overwhelmed by it. I was like, I told the, the pastor at the time, I said, hey, I just want to try, like, I want to try to just do my own, my own crew. I just want to give it a go. And, and I thought that um, if I did it, it would be so much better. And it was a train wreck. I didn't know how to do it. And everyone would gather, and I could see see it you know how you can see it on people's faces like this 
sucks, but I don't want to tell you that because you would be upset. And then you know it, it, it's that bad. And, and that's my, my background on small groups. So praise the Lord. And then, and then God calls me in the ministry and says, hey, you're, you know, and, and, but this is what I've learned. This is what I've learned through it. God, God refines us often in the areas you and I would never go on our own. And, and it's in the areas where you're like, man, I just don't know if I, if I want to do that. That's where you should go. It's usually in the areas that you would never go on your own accord that God wants to lead you because it's often in those environments where he does his greatest work. It's in those environments where you're refined, where, where you're encouraged, where you're challenged, where you find and hear the testimonies of other people that encourage you, inspire you, strengthen you so that you could get through the season of difficulty you're walking in in your own life. And I, I'm saying that because as crews come by each season, because we do them um, in, in certain seasons of the, of the life of the church, um, many of you kind of just uh, you, you've determined, I'm not going to do it. I want you to determine before you're asked, you know what, I'm going to try it. And, and give, it, give, it, give it a chance. Give the Holy Spirit a chance to work in those environments. I'm telling you, my life is better. Our marriage is better. My, my children's lives are better because of what comes from the fruit of gathering with other believers in Christ. And so make room in your life for it. I'm, I'm telling you, God will bless you for it if you do that. Um, Next week, uh, a final, final thing. Next week, I'm starting a, a, a conversation. We as a family are going to start this series conversation called The Great Divide. It'll probably be one of the most challenging series. Uh, I'm excited about it, but I want us to um, really recognize how the, our adversary attempts to divide us, not only as a church, but as people, um, and then destroy us. And you, you can see it happening on a daily basis in our world today, and uh, we're going to begin talking about a lot of social topics and things next week, um, and so it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope that you're part of it, but today we're going to um, conclude, um, show up, it's going to be wild, And um, but we're going to conclude our conversation through uh, the book of James, and, and how many of you have a greater appreciation for James, like after reading it? He's good, isn't he? Like, now that now that you've read through a large portion of James, it's it's not that long, so I hope you've read the whole thing. And um, but wouldn't you more describe like he could be from New Jersey, right? Right? You're like I uh, could. He's yes, he's definitely from New Jersey. Well, one of the things James even begins with is he comes out of the gate pretty hard. And in chapter one, you remember this in verse twenty two, he says, "Do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves." I was like, wait a second, I thought that was good. He said, no, just listening to it, and that's all, you'll deceive yourself. He says, you need to do what it says. You need to walk in it. You need to actually let your faith be evident to those around you. It needs to be seen. Don't, don't, don't trick yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Don't, don't get it twisted. Just showing up to church or playing something on the radio or listening to your favorite Christian radio station or just having that verse plastered on your locker or on your desk or on your wall. Like, that's great and all, but you need to walk in the Word, not just read the Word. Can you say amen? And then he says something even more like, he doesn't let off. Like, this is so James. He doesn't let off. He hits you and you're like, oh, come on, a little reprieve. And he's like, no, next verse. You know, and you're like, oh, okay. Next verse, verse 26, he says, those who consider themselves um, religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And the religion is 
say it, worthless. I don't know about you, but I don't want my walk with Jesus to be seen as worthless. I don't want to, to, to confess that I'm one thing and then walk in another way. I don't want to say that I'm, I'm a follower of Christ and then demean people or have no control. Today, I want to talk to you about taming the tongue. And, and this is a challenging thing, not only for, I, I think, anyone to preach on, but it's often viewed as insignificant. Or you, most people, when they hear it, they're like, oh, yeah, I should talk better. I should be more kind. And we're thinking about emotions and less about the actual words that come forth from our mouth. And, and so I want to talk about that today. You may be watching a sporting event later today. This may serve you very well. I'm telling you right now, okay? So I'm giving you a heads up, learning how to control your tongue. Are you ready to read the Word of God? James chapter 3, verse 3. He says, when, you put, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or we take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great farce is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the, body, the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. So James comes out right at the beginning and talks about the power of the tongue by using metaphors of it may not seem significant, it may be just, well, it's just my tongue, it's just what comes off of my tongue, but I, I want us, if you just step back for a moment and take the just two examples, the understanding of how one receives salvation. The Bible says that we receive salvation, if you refer to Romans 10, 9, by the confession of one's mouth, through the declaration of my lips and the belief of my heart, I'm eternally saved or in alignment, in right standing with God. The power of one's tongue. God could have used anything or done anything to create the universe or man, but the scriptures teach us that God chooses to speak things into existence. The Bible teaches in Proverbs that the power of life and death are in the tongue. They're in our lips, in our words. And so I want us today to understand how important he sees this, because this is what I know to be true. You and I kind of know our words are important, but not completely. We kind of know they have impact and power to them, but not fully. And I want us through the reading of God's word to fully understand the power of our words. Um, I, I, I've been looking through the text and I've realized that there are about five common areas um, where the tongue needs to be tamed or brought into alignment. And um, how many of you know that, that we could all, well, I, I, I'll say it this way. I need work with, with, with my words. If there was one thing I felt the Holy Spirit and really work in my heart and enable me to do was to have a greater control of what I say. To, and and I'll, I'll say it this way. This is the best way I can describe it. Um, the Bible teaches that, that when the believer is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can walk in the fruits of the Spirit, found in Galatians 5.22. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. How many of you need self-control? If you don't have self-control, you'll say whatever comes to mind. 
And in order for us, now listen to me, we're gonna get to this in a moment, but you will not strive in your own strength to control your tongue. Your emotions will get the best of you. Other people will get the best of you. Your insecurities will get the best of you. Your, your lack or your failures will get the best of you and you'll say things that you regret. The only one who can enable you to control your tongue is, is the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that God transforms us through the renewing of our mind. God works from the inside out. Remember that. Don't forget that. It's always from the inside out. It's not, hey, you need to do this. Now strive and fix it in your own strength. That's not how God does it. That's not how God leads us, nor does he refine us in such a way. It's always from the inside out. But I'm gonna give you these five common areas that I, I think that the tongue needs to be tamed in. It's not for, for you. Maybe it's for like your spouse, your neighbor, it doesn't need to be for you, okay? It can be for, for someone else. I just want it to be received. So let it just be for someone else and smile, okay? And say, you gotta listen to this, okay? Here it is. The first one is people who speak in a way that is crude or coarse, coarse joking or gossip. Um, I, I've said this many times. My mother would always have this, this, this verse up in the boys' bedroom, in the bathroom. It didn't matter where we were. She would put this, this verse up, and it was Ephesians 4, 29. It says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Not some or an occasional amount or a justifiable amount or whatever you seem fit or whatever the circumstance may be. No, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And um, I remember at times, literally, I can close my eyes and remember my mother underlining certain words. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You know what I read when I read that? I realized that I, have, I can control my tongue. I can control my tongue through the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I can use wisdom, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. The second thing is this, people who speak in a way that is defeated, hopeless, or negative. Uh, you may be around people at times that every it doesn't matter what good is happening in their world. They will find the one thing that is not right and complain about the one thing that's not right. And, and they'll say, man, okay, it's good, but look at this. This isn't right. And, and we would always say in, in our family, we would say it's a negative Nancy thing. And so if we're in the car and everyone's happy and there's one person, yeah, but, you know, it's like, oh, be quiet, negative Nancy. If your name's Nancy, I'm sorry. That's not, I didn't mean to. We would also say hopeless Harry. As everything's hopeless, there's nothing good that can come out of it. It's so bad, you know? And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's fix our eyes on what is good and talk about what God has given us. Now, listen to me. As we go through these, it's easy to look at them and say, oh, yeah, I do that sometimes, or oh, yeah, I do that. My goal is to not only identify the areas in which we need to tame our tongue, but I want you to understand the consequences that happen when we have an inability to control our tongue because they're severe and they're significant. The third thing is when people speak without thinking, carelessly or with ignorance, and you, you may just describe it in, in this way. This is how I would say it. It's just word vomit. Do you ever struggle with that sometimes where you just people are just saying things to say things? And you're like, I just need to get this off my chest. And they just start saying stuff and they just, you, you know what I'm talking about? And sometimes we actually have convinced ourselves that just saying 
things that make no sense and they are not right, that in some way it's good for us. No, being honest with yourself in a good environment may be okay before God. David was honest before God, and he would say things um, before God, but he wasn't flippant in them, meaning he just didn't say things just to say things. He, he, he reflected on his frustrations and his hurt. He wasn't careless in how he would say things in his speech. Number four, people who speak in a way that is intentionally hurtful or offensive. Intentionally hurtful or offensive. There are people who are um, uh, kind of, and I, I want to be sensitive in how I say this, but, but sometimes we can say things and we think that we're just trying to toughen people up. And we're just like, oh, they just, they just need to learn how to, to, how to develop tough skin. Well, I just can't find that in my Bible that it says you should demean people and be rude to people to develop them for, for, for a lost and broken world. I remember when I started in ministry, it was, it was like in 2007, and I had like two messages under my belt, family. And I was like, I was rough around the edges. I, 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 was, I was learning just so much, just as I still am. It's a constant learning and seeking after the things of God. But I remember someone came to church at the time. And you have to remember, um, there was probably three rows of people. There was probably 30 or 40 of us. And, and the stage, every time you'd go like this, it'd go, like it just, it was, it was awesome. And, and I remember speaking. And then at the end, this person came up. And it, if you were new, Everyone knew that because you were like the odd person out because it was basically family and that's that was it and and so we started and the and, and the gentleman came up and he says hey pastor the Lord sent me here to keep you humble and I remember when that happened because I remember looking at my dad because I thought my dad was pranking me and then I remember looking back and I said Lord told me I should lay my hands on you outside in the parking lot you know and uh and he, he's like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not kidding. I was like, I'm new at this, okay? I'm learning how to deal with it. And I, I realized even early on in my journey with the Lord is, is when we think we're helping and equipping other people, it's exactly what Paul writes in Ephesians 4. He says, no, let every word that you speak be a word that builds other people up. Let it be a benefit to them. Not in the benefit of how you see it. As you read the word of God, the word of God teaches us that we should humble ourselves before God. You know, I know many of us were like, I need that. There's people in my world who they show, they, they're prideful and I need to, to humble them. No, you don't. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that you should take it upon yourself to make sure that the people in your world are humble. You humble yourself before God. And if other people don't humble themselves before God, guess what? God will humble them. And, and that's why the scriptures say that you and I are not to worry about vengeance in areas of our life. That God says, vengeance is mine. Don't worry about that. Even if you've been hurt and you've been, you've been dishonored and you've been talked about and you're, you've been slandered and people have said things untrue about you. The Bible doesn't say go on Facebook and defend yourself. You know, and, and some of you are like, no, I need to, I need to keep my name. You know, you know how many times Jesus could have done that? His whole ministry was filled with gossip and lies. Everything about his life, it was like, how can we lie, misrepresent, demean, slander, and gossip this man? And every time people asked him, defend yourself, he said nothing. And it's like, well, well, you know, they lied about our church and they said this. I mean, I, it's happened to me so many times. It's almost like to the point where 
The enemy almost wants to constantly put stuff before you. And if you keep stepping in it, he's going to keep putting it before you. It's almost like the Lord saying, hey, just, that does nothing for you. It does nothing for anyone else either. As a matter of fact, if you know that you're living in a way that is honoring and pleasing before God and you're following after God, don't worry about defending yourselves to other people. Can you say amen? The fifth way is people who speak in a deceptive way and lie. They tell things that are untrue or half-truths. They're just manipulative in their speech. Do you know, as you would read through the word of God, um, you'll find that God says six times that he hates things. It's probably some of the strongest language within in the entire Bible about him saying that he hates things. And three of the things that God hates have, uh, pertain to the use of our tongue. The first is a, a lying tongue, a false witness, which simply means someone who slanders somebody, says things that are untrue, or a person who stirs up division amongst people, drama and chaos. They're the three things of the six that God hates according to Scripture, and they have to do with, the, with what, how we use our, our words. When James begins talking about the power of our words, he uses these metaphors about how a bit can steer a large animal and a horse, or how a rudder, um, though it is small, it can steer the entire ship, even though that it is large. And what you need to understand what James is trying to say is that He's saying you may not see your words as having power to them or being influential, but they are so powerful. They have the ability to steer the entire context of your life, the environment of your life. They can create bonds of friendship and trust and relational um, intimacy that you've never experienced. Although on the same, in the same breath, though, they can destroy, they can disrupt, they can demean, they can break down, they can pillage every relationship that you have. And he's saying you need to recognize the power. The reason he's using this, talking about taming the tongue, you don't need to tame things that are not powerful. It's like, I, I remember I went with my oldest sister. She went and bought a, a dog before. It was a Shih Tzu. Do you know what they are? I mean, I don't even know if they come up to your ankle. You, 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 it's not a powerful beast, Okay. It's, you're, we're not talking about a lion here. We're, we're talking about a little tiny shih tzu. It's like, it's a varmint, okay? And, and, and the reason I'm saying that to you is because James is drawing this analogy that, that our words, though small, they control in a powerful way our life. And you don't need to worry about controlling something that is not powerful. And he's trying to get across to us that your tongue, whether you choose to believe it or not, can create an environment of peace, love, forgiveness, kindness, gentleness. Some of us, hear me, from the bottom of my heart, if your words create the culture of your home, they build the construct and the fabric of the culture of your home. And some of you, you don't recognize it. You just think being apt, just I pop on the TV and I'll just play me, whatever it may be. But no, I'm telling you, your words build a fabric in your home. It's a culture. It's, it's an environment. And, and so that's why the Bible says and teaches that our words can bring life or death. There's, there's power to it. And so I want you to be mindful, not just the conversations you have with individuals, but what you're adding to the environment that you're part of. 
Some of you, you, the only thing that you speak out of is the pain of your past. Some of us, we only speak out of the negative that we see. What I love about God is God doesn't ask us to tell him all of the problems in the world that he's placed us to live. That's why the Bible says that you and I, we walk by faith, not by. So this idea, and think about it, God says, teaches us, listen, family, I want you to walk by faith. Confident assurance, I want you to walk by faith, but not by what you see. And we usually walk and we respond according to what we only see in the trials and the tribulations of our life. That's why, again, you go back to Scripture and it says, fix your eyes not on what you see, but on the author and the perfecter of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what this is this idea that that which we fix our eyes on and we fix our hearts on actually comes out of our mouth. Jesus says in Matthew 12, he says, out of the overflow of one's heart, the mouth speaks. And so you, you might be, well, okay, I'm going to, because I know some of you, you're like, all right, listen, I work, I grew up. Um, working summers with, with my father's company and it was all construction. And I know some of you, you work in an environment where th- there's certain words, it's like that's the only word they use all day. You know, it's just like they use it for, as a verb, a noun, an adjective. It's like that's the only word they know how to use all day. And you are constantly surrounded. And I get it because over a course of time, you, you, you pick up what you're surrounded with and you start talking like that. But this is why striving to do something good for God will never be produced. That's why the Bible tells us that the fruits of the Spirit of God, love, joy, peace, kindness, we get all the way down to self-control. It is a byproduct or a fruit of walking and power through the Holy Spirit because you can't strive your way to please God and to honor God. You need to fill yourself with God's Word, recognize that that's not who I am, and if it's not who I am, I'm not going to talk like that. And as God works in your heart, you then be a, you you then become the very thing he's called you to be. You don't get affected by the darkness. You change the darkness because you're acting as a light in a dark place. And the Bible teaches us that the only way that that happens is if we know the word of God. If the word of God is in us, then we'll bring change in the world around us. My, um, my kids and I, we, we're working on just speaking better. You know, if you tell a two-year-old not to use a certain word, what happens? You would think by the fourth child, I would have figured that out now. But I, my, my son, I'm like, hey, we don't say that word. And it's just like, bah, bah, bah. it's just, it keeps coming out. And I'm just like, ah, you know, and, and it usually only happens when we're in public around a bunch of people from the church and, you know, it's perfect. So, um, the, <laughs> it's wonderful. And, um, and, so pray for me. And um, I, I, I got to make sure, even as I was preparing for this, I said to my children the other night, I said, listen, daddy's constantly praying that the Lord would give him patience. And they're like, why do you need patience? And I just smile, I'm like, because of you, you know? And, and, um, and, and I do, I need patience. I need patience in, in recognizing that they will never carry things that I don't show them or teach them to carry. They have no idea how to walk in patience if it's not demonstrated to them by the parents that God's placed in the world. 
And so if your children are absent with something, it's probably because you're not showing them how to walk in it. And uh, it's a hard thing to recognize. And, and, and I realize that if I see it, I just start yelling why they need to do it. And then I realize I can't force it. I need to live it. I need to live it and walk in it. And, and at due season and due time, they're going to pick up what's being placed down before them. And, and, and so the, the one thing I realized as we were talking, I said, hey, I wonder if God over the course of the year could take all the words we use and, and the word that we use the most, may, that would be the biggest word. What word would recap your 2020? What word would it be? And some of us are like, oh, no. I, I don't like that even thought, what, what that would be. Because some of us, we went through trials and, and struggles and tribulations and we we're going through difficult things. And, and maybe you did have the inability to see the good things God was doing and everything was just filled with negativity. It was constant complaining and nothing's good enough. And my spouse is not the way I want them to be. And my boss isn't the way I want them to be. And my kids aren't the way I want them to be. And, and you aren't the way you want to be. And everything was, but it was never, God, I thank you for the good things and the blessings and the healing and the provision and that I do have a job and I do have a home and I do have a spiritual family. And, and one of the things I, I've, I've learned over my journey with the Lord is when I'm at a loss and I, I don't even know where to start, I have to tell you where my rocket fuel is. It's in Psalm 23. I love going to the Psalm. I love reading what David declares because some of us can read this story, this Psalm in isolation, not recognizing that he went through some real struggles, some real difficulties, some real trials and tribulations in his life, but they did not define him. He wouldn't let them defeat him. And sometimes even though you don't want to utter the words because you don't feel like it and it doesn't feel right and it feels fake, no, you don't need to tell God anything but what he's already declared. And it's almost saying, God, I'm going to declare the promises that you've already spoken over my life. And so this is what David says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And for some of us in our journey in life, we just need to get... We need to put that one line on repeat in our mind. Because you are my shepherd, God, I lack nothing. I may not have had the parent that I wanted growing up. I may not have the job that I wish I had now. I might not be where I think I should be. But because you are who you are, God, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Even if I don't want to rest, he teaches me how to rest. He leads me beside quiet waters and in so he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake, not for my own fame or my own accolades, but for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Not because I'm strong, not because I know everything, not because I'm, I'm tough and I can just work my way through it. No, I fear no evil, God, because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I love this picture. Just picture this in your mind. God, you pre prepare a table right before me in the presence of my adversaries. You put a table out before me right in the presence of every one of my enemies. And what do you do, God? You anoint my head with oil, a sign of blessing. And it's not just a little bit, God, because my cup overflows. God, surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know that's a declaration over your life? And I want you to know something. When God's given you promises, 
Let your words be in alignment with the promises of God. Let them be in alignment with the promises of God. If you're a parent of young children, if you're a grandparent and you're like, I don't, Pastor, I don't always have the right words to say. and I'm, You don't need them. God's already spoken them. He's already spoken them. Sit down and begin to just prophesy that psalm over your family, over your marriage, over your children and your grandchildren. Do you know the first promise in Scripture is connected to honoring your parents? To honoring your parents, and then it follows in Proverbs 20, 20. Listen to what it says. If someone curses their father or mother, their lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. The lamp represents God's direction for their life. And it says, if you begin to speak words of curses over your father and your mother, that direction of your life will be snuffed out. And you need to understand, listen, we serve a God who's faithful to forgive. The Bible declares that he will forgive those who call upon his name. He's faithful to do so. And he does not contradict himself. If you come and repent before God, he will forgive you of your sin. But there's power in your words. James continues in verse 7. He says, all kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed. And they have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongues, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, we come and praise, and, and come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What I've realized as I walk with Jesus is that there's serious consequences to my words. And I realize now more than ever, as having young children, I need to learn and be very cautious of what I say. I need to make sure that I'm not just saying lofty things, but I'm de declaring the promises of God. Declaring the promises of God in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. To say that over yourself and to say that over your family and over your children and your children's children. To say that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made, that God loves you and he knows you and he sees you and that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. How often have you told those who are under your influence those very words? I'm telling you, you can create an environment that releases people to walk in the power of God or allows the negativity of the world to just swallow them up. And that's why scripture teaches us that we should be so careful of how we speak. But when it comes to building people up, we should be, <laughs> we should be constantly encouraging one another to do things that are honoring and pleasing to God. I wanna leave you with this story. It's found in the Gospel of, of Luke, and it's one of my favorite stories that demonstrates this principle that I'm sharing with you this morning. Many of you might be familiar with the spies that went into the promised land. I'll just quickly, Moses, towards the end of his time in leading, and as the people of God were wandering in the wilderness, God had called them to go to a place that he had set before them. It was described as the promised land because God had promised them to it. There was no expectation of them. God just said, this is the land I've promised you and now go. And so Moses sent out, according to God's command, spies 
one spy representing each tribe into the promised land. And he says, bring me back a report. Every time I read this, I I say to myself, what were they thinking? Yet today, I know the same thing would happen. Because the moment your eyes come off of Jesus, you have an inability to fix your eyes on the good and you only see the bad. You only see the calamity. You only see the obstacle. You only see the struggle. So of the 12, 10 came back and they told me, whoa, there are giants there. We look like grasshoppers in the eyes of these giants. I don't think we can do it. And there were only two that brought back a good report. Do you remember the story now? And the two that brought back the good report would be the only two voices in an entire nation that God permitted to walk in the very promise that he's declared over their life. And it was because their words did not come in an alignment with what God declared that they did not walk in the promise that he promised them. You see the picture? Do you see the power of what our words carry? John the Baptist is getting ready to be brought into the world and Luke describes it in such a beautiful way and he does so in talking about Zechariah having an encounter with Gabriel the angel. And Zechariah is, is John's father and Elizabeth is John's mother and in this conception, in this period, an angel comes to announce that, that John the Baptist would be the forerunner to Christ the Messiah and listen to the dialogue. It, the angel shows up and he says to Zechariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Do you hear... Can you imagine an angel of the Lord standing before you declaring this exciting news, this exciting announcement, and then listen to the words of Zechariah? He says, but how can you be sure of this? It's like in his inability to comprehend God's divine power and and majesty and wonder, he begins to doubt and question, God, how can this promise really happen? He says, at least he was smart enough not to call his wife old. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in her years. He learned something. And then the angel said this to him. Listen to the power in this. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I stand in the very presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and unable to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. When God says something will come to pass, it will. It is not your job to manufacture it. It's not your job to make it happen. It's not your job to expedite it. It's your job to come in alignment with it and believe it 
and Zechariah couldn't do it. If you fast forward towards the end of this story of John's arrival, it said on the eighth day after he was born, he, he came to be circumcised and they were going to give him a name after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. Now picture this. He's been unable to speak the entire pregnancy. I mean, Elizabeth might have been very happy about that. I don't know. But like, I just think, like, what if God did that with us? When God says, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I wonder what you would say back. What, what would I say back? It's almost like if my words are not in alignment with the promise, then what happens? He silences our ability to use our tongue. Zechariah has this tablet and he begins to write on the tablet, his name is John. The verse after that says, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak and his words were of praises to God. Your words carry power, and I want you to recognize it, not just for your sake, but for the generations that come up after you. Amen? You bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray for you before we go today. You may have arrived today in an interesting season of your life, and maybe you're here familiar with church. Maybe you're familiar with the name of Jesus. Maybe you're familiar with the term religion. I don't want to have you leave here today without having an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. The entire story of the Bible is a love story. It's a redemptive story. It's a story of salvation. And for many of us, you may not know in your current status, separated from God, if you are and you have never surrendered your life, but the Bible says that sin separates us from God. Every one of us was born with it, and that sin has eternally separated you from God. Jesus came from heaven to earth to deal with sin, and the Bible teaches that the only way we could deal with the sin in our lives would be through the shedding of blood. So many of you, you might be here today or watching online, and when you hear about Jesus dying on the cross, none of it makes sense to you. It just seems like a story, a strange story. But my friend, you will never understand your life story apart from understanding his. Your story is divinely connected to Jesus Christ and the cross. The Bible teaches that God sent his son from heaven to earth. And it says that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. The scriptures teach that God did not send his son into the world to condemn you, but rather to save you. And you'd be like, to save me from what? Your sin and eternal separation from God. The Bible then further teaches in Ephesians 2.8, it teaches us that salvation doesn't come through, through good works. You can't write a check to somebody and earn salvation. You can't, you can't work your way to receive it. You can only receive this gift from heaven. The Bible teaches that it is by grace through faith. You might say, well, what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It simply means you are unable to save yourself, but God can save you. And how does he choose to save you? He sends one to die in your place. He sends one who is perfect and pure and blameless to die in your stead. Even though he didn't deserve it, you deserve to die. He took your place upon the cross. 
And the Bible says he became sin so that we, those who confess and believe in him, would be saved. The Bible says that when you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you shall be saved. The Bible says that it is a finished work of the cross, salvation. So if you're here today and you've never done that, I wanna lead you in this prayer. You're not gonna say it alone. We're gonna say it together as an entire family here today. And if you're joining us online, make sure you say it as well. God sees you. He, sh he sees you. But confess these words. If you know you're not right and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, my friend, at the end of this life, you will stand before God. And you will get one question it's unrelated to your success in this world. It's unrelated to your bank account. It's unrelated to the things you may think it, it should be related to. It's going to be a question of what did you do with my son, Jesus? That's it. Did you let him pay the price for your sin? And if you did and say, I confess that Jesus Christ was my Lord, I placed my hope and trust in him. I walked and I followed him. I'm a believer of Jesus. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover a multitude of sins. And it teaches that it's by, this, by the blood of Jesus that we are washed white as snow. That when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Bible says that your sins are as far as the east is from the west. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And at that moment, the Bible says that you are right standing with God. And I want that for you, my friend. So as we say this prayer, recognize that you might be saying it in a room filled with people, but God hears it in heaven. So family, repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin in the grave. I am now a Christian Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, family, clap for everybody that said that. Well, listen, why don't you stand to your feet? And hey, if you were one of those individuals who said yes to Jesus today, as you leave, you're gonna see team members in the lobby. They're waving this New Testament Bible. It's a gift from us to you. We wanna help you in your journey with Jesus. And I know, listen, you're probably like, I do not wanna talk. I get it. You probably don't wanna talk to anybody, but we wanna help you in this journey. So make sure that you stop and say hello um, to them as you're, as you're leaving. And one last thing. In James chapter five, James concludes by saying, if any among you is sick, Go to the elders and the leaders of the church and be anointed with oil and be prayed for so that you can be healed. And at the end of our time right now, in the next steps, we're gonna have leaders, pastors, team members and leaders back there um, ready to uh, pray with you, anoint, oil, anoint you with oil and, and believing for your healing in the name of Jesus. And so if you wanna be prayed for at the end of this service, make sure you take the time. I know some of you are like, it's just gonna be too long. No, your healing is worth the wait. Your healing's with the weight. So make sure that you, you take the time to go there and we'd love to pray for you and believe for your healing. Come on, stretch your hands to heaven. Let me pray for you. Father God, as we humble ourselves before you right now in this moment, God, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us in demonstrating self-control. But Father, not only help us have self-control with our tongue, but may it be a force May it be a force of cultivating an environment of love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness. God, help us to create that 
that beautiful intimacy in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces. God, may we be the catalyst to change. May we be the catalyst to, to, to redemption and revelation of Jesus into a lost and broken world. Father, use us this week, we ask. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And a faith-filled church said, amen. God bless family.